I'm not exactly sure what it is about Sicily, but for a place that I have yet to travel to, I'm slightly obsessed with it. For evidence of this, allow me to show you my collection of Sicilian cookbooks. They're on the left. On the right are cookbooks either inspired by or about Catalan cuisine, and I've been to the Catalonian region of Spain three times already. So even when you take out the two books that are American restaurant cookbooks, it's still, it's quite the comparison for a place I've yet to go to. So what gives? Well, I have to say that part of it is definitely inspired by the gorgeous sequences set in Sicily in parts one and two of The Godfather. I mean, you'd have to be have a heart of stone to ignore how gorgeous they are. But it's more than that. There's some cultural elements too. My husband is a quarter Sicilian and I always am struck in the scene of Goodfellas when Henry Hill mourns the fact that he could never be fully made in his organization because he's not fully Sicilian. On a less mafia-related note, I also have to cite La Ventura by Michelangelo Antonioni as just being such a gorgeous film filled with gorgeous people and they're all filled with ennui and it just makes me want to make a big plate of pasta and drink some good red wine with it while I watch it. But of course, perhaps the most intriguing and intimidating element is the fact that Anthony Bourdain never felt that he could make a proper episode set in Sicily. For evidence of this, this is what he posted to his Tumblr right before the Parts Unknown episode for Sicily. Why, why, why can't I get Sicily right? I love Sicily. It's beautiful. It's old. It's Italy, but it's not. I like the people. Proudly mixed up, preyed upon by generations of invaders, and a nearly ubiquitous fraternal organization that makes even the simplest transaction, like getting fruit to market, complicated. Sicilian food is exactly everything I love. The cuttlefish stained pasta, street meat, inky wines, oily fishes. And for some reason, though I don't speak Italian, I understand nearly every word in Sicily. But two shows in Sicily, and for some reason, both times, I end up somehow missing the point. I end up an outsider staring in. It is the perfectly imperfect place, one magnificent island after another, and yet our shared cultural understanding of Sicily seems hopelessly affected by the movies we grew up with. It is my fault, not theirs, that I continue to miss the point of Sicily. Of all the places in the world, with all the different places I've been, it would seem that Sicily would be easy to get right. It wasn't. Anthony Bourdain, October 11th, 2013. I mean, really, if Anthony Bourdain, who was brilliant and had an amazing team of producers and researchers helping him make fantastic travel television, couldn't get it right in Sicily either time, what hope do us mere mortals have in traveling there? I feel like I would be even more likely to end up on some boat where someone is chucking dead, frozen seafood at me in the name of providing some authentic fishing experience. Okay, kidding aside, I do hope to make it to Sicily one day, but in the meantime, I am really glad that I have my little collection of Sicilian cookbooks because at least it allows me to travel there through my kitchen. And of the four, I've got to say that Made in Sicily by Giorgio Locatelli might be my favorite, and that's because Giorgio Locatelli is pretty interesting himself. Part 1. An Introduction to Giorgio Locatelli So Giorgio Locatelli is a Michelin-starred chef who originally comes from the Varese province 
in the Lombardy region in northern Italy. He got his start working at various high-end restaurants in Paris, including Le Tour de Dolcent and Le Lint, before eventually moving to London and working at the Savoy Hotel. In 2008, he opened his own restaurant, Lucanda Lucatelli, in the West End, two rave reviews. In addition to his restaurant career, he's also through three cookbooks, Made in Italy, Made in Sicily, and Made at Home. I own the first two. Made in Italy is kind of a catalog of his fine dining career, specifically his fine dining Italian career. While Made in Sicily is much more of a deep dive into understanding what makes Sicilian food tick. As for Made at Home, presumably it contains recipes that he makes at home for his friends and family, but I only found out about this from doing research for this video, so I have to get and find out for myself. I don't cook for Made in Italy as much as I should because to be honest, some of the recipes are a little intimidating. It's hard to get some of the ingredients here in the States, but I always learn something when I cook from this book. So that's why I keep it in my collection. Made in Sicily is much more accessible because while some of the recipes are still a little out there, like lobster and spaghetti, a lot of them can be made during the week and like meatballs or shrimp salad, but probably the dish that really epitomizes this is this ditalini with sun-dried tomatoes, anchovies, and breadcrumbs. It's super pantry friendly, but it's also a great example of how Sicilians approach food and make humble ingredients really sing. Part two, musings on Sicilian ingredients. So of all the components that go into this pasta dish, I'm really only gonna focus on four in depth today, starting with the bread and the pasta. Bread is super important in the Sicilian diet because compared to other parts of Italy, it's a more impoverished region, so they don't want to waste any food, and bread's an easy way to extend a lot of food. Locatelli himself says you cannot overestimate the importance of bread to Sicilian life. Bread is life. It is at the heart of society. There's an old proverb, padre, which means who gives me bread is my father. Even if the money that your father makes is blood money, he is still your father because he gives you bread. As for pasta, I love how Sicilians approach using pasta and especially using interesting shapes. Like take this ditalini. It translates to tiny fingers and normally you'd see it only in soups or something like that, but Sicilians treat it like a legit shape for their pasta courses. And I think that's pretty neat. But enough with the starchy carbs, let's move on to the more controversial ingredients in this dish. And by that, I mean the sun-dried tomatoes and anchovies. And we'll get started with the little fishies first. I am convinced that my generation despises anchovies or at least thinks anchovies bad because of 90s pop culture. Because, I mean, let's face it, if Rachel is using them to punish Ross for cheating on her, you know we have a problem. Hi, yes, I'd like to order a large pizza. No anchovies. With uh, extra anchovies? <laughs> Okay, I'll just pick them off. Yeah, and could you please chop some up and just put it right there in the sauce? <laughs> well, the joke's on you, Rachel, because a few years after this, another Rachel would appear in the pop culture fray. That would be one Rachel Ray. And from the start of her show, 30 Minute Meals, she was advocating the use of anchovies in American cooking and telling us that anchovies are good, actually. Personally, I love them. If I can find them fresh, I'll fry them if I, 
but I'll even use the canned ones happily in tapas and pinchos. They're really versatile. And to this day, I'm still dreaming about going back to this wonderful bar in San Sebastian that serves some fresh. Ugh, it's amazing. As for sun-dried tomatoes, they're a little different in their renown. So if you're of a certain age, you might associate them with fine dining cuisine in New York City because that's when they really first started appearing on the scene. And it's not hard to understand why chefs went gaga for them because the idea of Italian tomatoes picked at their peak ripeness and allowed to sit all day in the sun, concentrating their flavor sounds really appealing. But as Priya Krishna notes, that appeal became very mainstream very quickly, especially as we headed into the 90s. And because there was such a demand for this flavor and this ingredient, manufacturers stopped importing the good Italian sun-dried tomatoes and instead started dehydrating American tomatoes, which not nearly as good and definitely not the same thing. But because they could do it cheaply, it meant that you could find sun-dried tomato versions of everything from bagels and tortillas to crackers. So I get it. Sun-dried tomatoes were definitely overexposed, but it's 2021. I think it's time to give them another shot. And I think this recipe is a really great excuse to do just that. Part three, how I make it. So we're going to start this dish off by making what I'm calling the spicy breadcrumbs. Now this is a deviation from Locatelli's recipe because he uses red pepper flakes and regular breadcrumbs. I like these flavored spicy breadcrumbs because I think they bring more flavor to the dish. We're going to start by cutting the crusts off my sourdough. And all the only reason why I'm doing this is because I don't like that weird textural difference between the crust and the crumb in eating breadcrumbs. And that means that they'll process more evenly. So once all the bread is cut into cubes, they're going to go into the craft of my blender. You could also use a food processor. And I'm not going to show you this because it would make a mess. But you pulse it a few times until you get lovely, mostly even, but a little jagged, a little, uh, they're not perfect, but they'll work for this application really well. Now, next, I've heated my olive oil on medium heat. I'm using a nonstick and I'm melting my chili paste into the olive oil. And so why I'm doing this is because as the breadcrumbs fry, this not only gets them golden brown from the oil, but it'll infuse that heat into every last crumb and it's gonna be so good. Now you wanna give yourself a solid 10 minutes to make these crumbs because you don't wanna rush the process. If you try to cook them too quickly by using too high of a heat, you risk not only browning them unevenly, but even burning some, and that's not good. So just let it go, let them get nice and golden yellow first, and then eventually they're gonna get exactly the right color we want, which is a beautiful golden brown. Let's make the rest of the dish. So we're gonna go back into the pantry. We have our breadcrumbs, let's make the rest. We're gonna need the anchovies. We're gonna need more olive oil, some sun-dried tomatoes, dry white wine, four cloves of garlic, parsley leaves, ditalini pasta, pecorino romano cheese, and a little bit of kosher salt, really for salting the pasta water. We're gonna start by making parsley and garlic. Locatelli notes that this is a really popular condiment in Sicilian cooking, and you have to basically imagine it as a fresh herb blend it as opposed to a dried one that you might find at the store. And what you do is just cover your garlic cloves with parsley leaves and mince them together and 
it makes for a really uniform mince and a wonderful flavor bomb that goes into any dish. But you'll and I like it because you can put it on a bench knife and set it aside until you need it. Now we're also going to start cooking our ditalini pasta in salted boiling water. Now let's build this pasta dish, shall we say. We're gonna start by adding three of our anchovy fillets into a, a pan with about medium heat. Now what this is going to do is, much like Rachel Ray, we are making sure that the anchovies break down and really infuse their salty umami goodness into the olive oil. And that's gonna create a really great foundation of flavor in this pasta dish. And it's gonna get even better because you bring in the umami of the anchovies with the sun-dried tomatoes and ugh, it's going to coat those sun-dried tomatoes because we're only warming them through. We don't need to cook them hot long. We don't need to caramelize them. They just need to be warmed through and get covered with that anchovy infused olive oil. From there, we're going to do a light deglaze with our white wine. At this point, you also want to make sure to get some of your cooking water from your pasta bowl, from your pasta pot because you might need it in a, uh, a little bit later. Now the wine's going to extract some of the oil and color and flavors from the tomatoes and start making our very light sauce. And it's time to add the pasta. So from there, we're gonna just start stirring it. And first we're gonna start by making sure this ditalini gets coated by as much of the sauce as possible. And, that, and that's gonna be how we start finishing off this dish. It's, it's literally just a lot of stirring at this point. After we, once the pasta it has been incorporated, we add in that parsley and garlic, and this adds that freshness, a little bit of color, and a nice little bite from that garlic. It'll be warm through, but it's not gonna be like completely cooked if that is something that bothers you. And then next we're gonna add in, uh, we're gonna add in the breadcrumbs, but first I wanna check to make sure that the pan isn't too dry. And if it is like it was that day I made this, we're gonna add a little bit of that pasta water just to help things move along. Now we have the breadcrumbs. You wanna make sure you get every last one because you don't wanna waste a single crumb. And this creates a nice coating. It's, they're, they're not gonna get soggy, but it does create a little bit of texture and interest. And now we're gonna add in some anchovies. I'm saving one for plating purposes, but otherwise I would add it in all three at this point. And they'll break up as you stir and again, just add a hit of saltiness. And finally, we're gonna finish this off with the Pecorino Romano. And I just do this in batches to keep the cheese from clumping. And there you have it. Sicilian ditalini with sun-dried tomatoes, anchovies, and spicy breadcrumbs. Well, thank you so much for watching. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at the Manhattan Food Project. Be also sure to follow Foodie TV for fantastic food inspiration. You can download their app on the following platforms and I'll see you in the next video.